Support for this podcast comes from San Francisco International Airport. At SFO, you can discover award-winning flavors and unique shops all before takeoff. Learn more about what's at SFO at flysfo.com. Hey, it's Glenn Washington from Snap Judgment. And if you love what you're hearing, and I know you love what you're hearing, please consider becoming a KQED member special access to cool events behind the scenes footage and so much more plus you'll sleep better at night knowing you did your part for the community you depend upon it's in you please be in it visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to sign up now that's podcast with an s thanks from kqed everyone from KQED Public Radio. This is Political Breakdown. I'm Marisa Lagos. And I'm Scott Schaefer. And today on The Breakdown, we're going to take you on a little trip, a virtual trip, to the contested swing state of Arizona. That's right. Our neighbor to the southeast has turned into one of the biggest question marks in this year's presidential election. And we have two special guests here today to talk about how and why the state has been moving from a safe GOP stronghold to a very big opportunity for Democrats and whether it could be a deciding factor in the race for the White House. In just a little bit, we're going to be welcoming someone with a very unique perspective on the issues, Janet Napolitano. She was governor of Arizona, a job she left to become President Obama's Secretary of Homeland Security. But first, one of my favorite journalists and people, my former San Francisco colleague, uh, Chronicle colleague, Wyatt Buchanan, joins us from Phoenix. He is state politics editor at the Arizona Republic newspaper. Wyatt, welcome to The Breakdown. Happy to be here. Hello. Hello. Good to see you in in, in a way. Um, so you and I covered politics in California together for many years. And then you moved to Arizona in 2013, breaking all of our hearts. Talk to us about the main differences that you saw, like when you got there between California and Arizona, politically. Oh, politically. Um, well, Republicans had all the power. Um, it was sort of California flipped, a, a 180 flip from Sacramento and, and San Francisco. Well, and speaking of flipping, in some ways, uh, the state, as it's become more purple, has been going in that direction because of the Californians who've been moving there. Um, what are you What are you hearing from folks who came, you know, to your state from your former state? Well, and uh, we're hearing a lot from. Well, we're hearing from them, and we're hearing from uh, you know the the politicians and the and the players here. Um, talk a lot about the people from California too. <laughs> Are they nice? California is a hot topic in Arizona. Let me tell you. So, um, like, give an example. What are you hearing? Well, so um, you know, among uh, Republicans and and you know Republicans in in the legislature and in other powerful positions, they you know they are kind of pointing to that right now as one of the big reasons they um, you know see the potential of, of losing power. They're saying, oh, these all these people are coming from out of state. They're bringing, um, you know, their the California values <laughs> with them, uh, <laughs> as it were. Um, you know, the governor talks a lot about California, and um, he likes to say, uh, this is Doug Ducey, our governor, he likes to say, you know, remember there's a reason you left California <laughs> and why you came to Arizona, because you were getting away from something. You know, you don't want to repeat those mistakes here, so... Don't vote for higher taxes, you know, goes down the list of Republican priorities. But 
That is not how polling is showing things might go, right? I mean, I know there's a big uh, tax to help fund schools there that's polling really well. Um, more broadly, you're in Phoenix, Maricopa County. This is a place a lot of Californians came to know during the Joe Arpaio sheriff days, the, you know, SB 1070, check your papers laws. But that's one of those places where, like, Senator Kristen Cinema won, right? And I'm curious, like, have do you feel like Republicans have done anything to kind of change the narrative since that race in 2018? Or is that a place where you're just really seeing these demographic changes really shift the political narrative? That's an interesting question. Um, you know, I would say there's a bit of both. Um, you know, you do have people moving here, maybe from um, more liberal areas and coming in, but, um, you know, the, the criticism that Republicans get a lot here is that they're not appealing to people. They're not, there's, there's no change in, in their message. You know, we had SB 1070, that was 10 years ago. Um, but you know, you, it's, you're seeing this movement, but the party's not changing, um, really anything at all while the, the demographic ground is changing under their feet and, and, you know, sort of where people are on, on policy. It sometimes reminds me a bit of, um, you know, where, California was before things just really went um, into the Democrats' favor, yeah. you know, the super majorities in the legislature of Democrats, things like that. So this week we had President Trump uh, was there and gave sort of the bums rush to Martha McSally, told her, gave her a minute to come up on stage. Uh, Kamala Harris was there campaigning for the Biden-Harris ticket. You know, how is, uh, you know, how is all that playing in your state? People are interested. I think it's exciting to... Um, folks to to be a swing state you know if you're reliably red or reliably blue like california you you don't get these visits um you know you get people showing up for fundraisers <laughs> but that's <laughs> now uh, those are virtual so. we know about those yeah. <laughs> yeah so they you know you don't have the, the sort of the excitement electricity of, of a campaign unfolding in front of you i mean literally um kamala harris and and trump landed at almost the exact same time yesterday. Um, I think she was in Tucson first and he was uh, up north and then both came to Phoenix at the same time. So I don't know, they might've, you know, had a moment on the, the tarmac at Sky Harbor Airport if they wanted to, you know, but uh, <laughs> so it, and the speeches were going on at the same time. So, you know, it's it's really interesting to to, to watch this play out. And, and I think here too, it's, it's interesting to be in a place where your vote really has more weight than yeah. other places. Um, you know, I've talked to people, you, you asked about kind of what Californians are saying. Some people I've talked to um, who have moved here, I have neighbors who moved here from LA, um, friend relocated from Oakland to Tucson. Um, but, you know, they're saying it's it's really interesting to have your vote really, really matter. Um, it weighs a lot. You know, we've got a presidential race and a US Senate race where this state could play really big in. All right, Wyatt Buchanan, state politics editor at the Arizona Republic. Thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for coming. Yeah, on. thanks for having me. Good luck next week. We're going to take a short break now, and when we return, we'll keep talking Arizona with former Governor Janet Napolitano. You're listening to Political Breakdown from KQED Public Radio. Hi, I'm 
I'm Sasha Koka, host of the California Report magazine. Every week, we bring you stories about what connects us in the giant, diverse Golden State. Because what happens in California changes the world. I love this place. We were once seen as, like, the place to be California. The land of milk and honey, that's where you go to Sunshine State, but we just have challenges right now. KQED's California Report magazine. New episodes drop every Friday, wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, it's Avery Truffleman, host of Articles of Interest. And I've got to say, I've been a fan of KQED ever since I was a little kid, and I would come out to San Francisco to visit my grandma. It was just what we'd always turn on every time we got in the car, every time we were making dinner and turning on the radio. It was always KQED. And then over the years, I've become a massive fan of KQED podcasts because this is local reporting at its best. These are answers to questions you've always wanted to know, interviews with exciting, unusual voices, necessary journalism, all told with love and care and artistry. And did you know that a majority of KQED's funding actually comes from members? It's just people like you and me supporting the programs they love while also getting access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. If you want to sign up and be a part of this amazing community, visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to become a member today. That's podcasts with an S. Thank you for listening, and thank you for your support. And welcome back to Political Breakdown. I'm Marisa Lagos here with Scott Schaefer, and our guest today is Janet Napolitano. You may remember her as president of the UC system or maybe President Obama's Homeland Security Secretary, but she was also governor of Arizona from 2003 to 2009. Janet Napolitano, welcome to The Breakdown. Oh, thank you. It is great to have you here. You know, all eyes, as you well know, are on Arizona as well as a couple other swing states this year. Um, And, you know, looking back, you were the first Democratic governor in that state in, I think, a couple decades when you won. Um, uh, Bill Clinton's the only Democrat who's won Arizona since Truman in 1948. Talk us through how you won the governorship. Um, and, and I guess even before that, in a statewide race for attorney general in a state that was so red for so long. Yeah, Arizona was pretty red. And, and the only uh, uh, Democratic uh uh, presidential candidate they voted for since Truman was Clinton's reelect in 1996. Um, uh, but it's it it it's changed. So when I was running, it was uh, coalition politics. It was uh, bring out the Democratic base, uh, peel off some Republicans, and then do really well with the independents and. Uh, you know, managed to squeak out victories in 98 and 2002 when I ran for AG and um, governor. The first time when I ran for re-election for governor, we actually carried every county and every legislative district. So wow. we ran the wow. table. Yeah. yeah. So obviously, it, as, as it you... It was still very coalition politics to get elected. Yeah. And as you suggested, things have changed a lot in terms of the demographics. And it does seem to be very much in play, both in the U.S. Senate race and in the presidential race this year. What would you say, looking back, is the most important thing or maybe a couple things for us to keep in mind about Arizona politics that we might not know? One thing you want to keep an eye on is um, how the how the votes in Maricopa County are coming in. Maricopa That's where Phoenix County is, is where in Scottsdale. Is. It's 60% of the electorate in, in one county. Um, and um, Phoenix is now heavily Democratic, the city of Phoenix. 
so if there's a good turnout in Maricopa County, um, that will help uh, counterbalance some of the rural parts of the state. I mean, that county, what we're seeing is is changing dramatically. Um, I mean, how optimistic are you as a Demo- as a li- longtime Democrat uh, that Biden and Harris could actually win the state? Um, you know what? I, I think it's a little better than 50-50, um, but it's going to be very tight. Um, uh, it will uh, obviously depend on uh, turnout. Latino turnout has always been an issue. They're going to be trying to pump that up. Uh, um, it's, uh, however, it is a state that uh, counts um, uh, mail ballots as they come in. So we should know the, the vast majority of the count by election night. You know, you sound uh, pretty cautious uh, in your you know, assessment of how likely it is that the Democrats will win. And I remember four years ago, I'm sure a lot of people do, Hillary Clinton went to Arizona in the final days of the campaign. I think Michelle Obama was there. And a lot of people in hindsight are saying, well, yeah, she should have gone to Wisconsin or Philadelphia or Detroit or something like that. Are you concerned that maybe Democrats are putting too many chips on Arizona? No, I think the state has continued to change. Um, uh, I actually think there are two states out in the West that bear watching, Arizona and Nevada. Um, I think uh, Nevada is is looking to be uh, close as well, although it, it's trending more towards Biden um, than uh, Arizona. But both of those states are right now, I think, margin of error states. And, um, uh, you know, both have one big county that has a lot of the votes, Clark County in Nevada, Maricopa County in Arizona. Uh, Those counties tend to be Democratic. So watching how those ballots come in will be really interesting. Yeah, that's a great point. And, you know, um, Nevada, Democrats have sort of done a faster job, I would say, of flipping Nevada, of organizing, especially more blue collar workers in Las Vegas, Clark County. I'm curious when you look back, I mean, you know, you left to take the Homeland Security position. Um, I think, you know, a Republican replaced you. We've seen um, now, you know, obviously this the Senate race is competitive. But did you ever have any like political regrets about leaving that post? Well, sure. I mean, it was a it was a hard choice because I was leaving midway through my second term and my successor was a Republican, Jan Brewer. Um, now, um, I actually thought the then Attorney General of Arizona, who was a Democrat, um, would match up well against her in the general election and be elected, and off we would go. And uh, he unfortunately lost that race, and so it's had a succession of Republican governors ev- ever since. But overall, the state has trended more Democratic. It's flipped a couple congressional districts. It took the Senate seat last time. Kirsten Sinema won the U.S. Senate seat. And I think Mark Kelly has a very strong chance of taking uh, the second Senate seat this time, which would give Arizona two Democratic senators. When you think about the changes in Arizona, you know, in California, we saw uh, Proposition 187 was kind of the beginning of the end of the Republican Party in California. The so-called sleeping giant of Latino voters woke up and, uh, you know, things have never really been the same. It's been downhill for the Republicans in California ever since. And I'm wondering if you see SB 1070 uh, in Arizona as sort of having a similar impact there in terms of mobilizing or changing the electorate in some way? 
And just maybe describe what that was. It had to, it was another harsh immigration or anti-immigrant sort of law. Yeah, it was a uh, show your papers law, um, uh, among other things. And it was signed into law by uh, my successor, Jan Brewer. Uh, um, and it, it did um, uh, increase uh, Latino uh, uh, interest and uh, participation. Um, uh, and, and also uh, there was um, uh, uh, the presence of Maricopa County Sheriff Joe Arpaio, uh, who had a really virulent anti-immigration um, uh, platform and set of policies. Uh, and, um, uh, you know, I think one of the elections that really got uh, the Latino vote out was uh, his re-election for sheriff. Um, which he lost to a Democrat named Paul Penzone. So, and Paul is on the ballot again this fall. So, um, uh, you know, local politics are local. Um, and uh, so some of these races down ballot, like for sheriff, like for members of the state legislature, they can really tell you what's going on underneath the, the, the top races with the, with the electorate. Yeah. I know, I mean, you mentioned, um, Joe Arpaio, who obviously is a big Trump supporter, but and we've talked a lot about demographics. I'm curious, though, I mean, the coronavirus pandemic is obviously overlaying everything in all of our lives. Um, immigration was such a huge issue in 2016, really has taken a backseat this year. What are you hearing on the ground or, or, you know, from people you know back in Arizona about what could be driving the closest of this race beyond just the demographic changes? Um, I think think um, the economy uh, and um, I think, you know, for better, for worse in Arizona, Trump is seen as a little bit stronger on the economy and economic growth than uh, Vice President Biden. I think that's wrong, but obviously I think that's wrong, but um, I, I think uh, that affects the electorate somewhat. One thing to keep in mind is that Arizona has had vote by mail for uh, two decades now. Um, it's a heavy vote by mail state. People are used to voting by mail. Um, uh, I think probably two thirds to three quarters of the vote will come in by mail. Um, and and so, uh, like I, I mentioned, um, uh, they, they're going ahead and processing those ballots now as as they're received. So that's that's why they'll be able to announce a pretty good count uh, by late election night. They should we, be able to. We talked a little bit about Nevada and uh, the purpling of Arizona. And, you know, with Nevada, I think there's a lot of evidence that some of that is because of all the Californians who have left the state for one reason or another taking their more liberal politics with them. Do you see that being a factor in Arizona as well? Oh, sure. Um, uh, Californians have been helpful. Um, <laughs> <laughs> we're seeing them in Nevada and Arizona. We're seeing them in Texas. Uh, um, you know, uh, Utah's Calif next. <laughs> California is the gift that keeps on giving. And um, uh, yes, and when we take over Utah, you will know that. But certainly we've seen that uh, in Arizona. And Arizona, you know, you have to realize it's a state that is changing so rapidly. It's, uh, um, uh, it's got a, a, a nascent um, but growing high-tech sector. Uh, it, it's... Um, uh, got uh, uh, you know a, a 
one of the largest public universities in the country in Arizona State. Uh, um, it's it, it, it's economic makeup and the things that kind of motivate people and what they're involved in. You know, they've really changed even o- over the last ten years. Yeah. I think those Utahns are already complaining about Californians from what I've heard. (laughs) (laughs) Not to mention Oregon. (laughs) Yeah, we won't go there. So if you're just joining us, you're listening to Political Breakdown from KQED Public Radio. I'm Marisa Lagos here with Scott Schaefer. And today we are talking Arizona with former Arizona governor Janet Napolitano. Um, Obviously, also former secretary of Homeland Security. And I'm curious, looking past Tuesday, what are you thinking about when it comes to protest, potential violence? Um, I think that, you know, a lot of people are on really high alert looking at how much of the, you know, the rhetoric we've been hearing about not necessarily trusting election results. Right. So here's here's something interesting. I'm actually in an, uh, an organization um, uh, I helped start this fall, Citizens for a Strong Democracy, and it's being led by myself and Jay Johnson, who were the two Homeland Security Secretaries under Obama, and then Tom Ridge and Michael Chertoff, who were the Homeland Security Secretaries under President Bush. And our message is very straightforward. The election system is secure, um, and people need to vote, and their votes need to be counted. And people need then um, uh, to make sure that uh, the electoral process is completed. In other words, um, just because we don't know on the night of November 3rd doesn't mean that the the system was somehow hijacked or or rigged. And uh, we thought that as two Democratic and two Republican secretaries who had election infrastructure as part of our remit as secretaries of Homeland Security, uh, we we could uh, jointly send out that message. How concerned are all of you, given your backgrounds and your expertise in security, about, you know, the we're hearing all about all these guns that are being purchased. There is obviously tremendous polarization. You've got the president of the United States saying the election, the only way he can lose is if it's rigged. I mean, you know, there have been assessments of the risk, and some states are at higher risk than others. Oregon is one, for example. Pennsylvania is another. Uh, California is kind of in that middle tier. But, you know, what? how how you know, legitimate is that concern? Oh, I think it, it, I think it does bear watching. Um, and I think law enforcement is watching. And I think uh, uh, local law enforcement, police departments, and so forth, uh, are, are preparing so that um, they can handle what, uh, what, if anything, actually breaks out. But um, again, my my thinking, my message is, look, uh, elections are never finally decided on election night. Um, uh, uh, every state counts ballots after election day. Let the process play out. Let the counts play out. And then the United States has always been known for the peaceful transition of power. You know, when or lose, like it or not, we accept the result and we move forward. Um, briefly, and then I think we want to talk about some California stuff, but, you know, pretend Joe Biden wins um, and maybe Democrats even get control of the Senate. Putting the coronavirus aside, I think that'll be priority number one for him. What would you say should be the priorities for a Democratic administration, knowing that, you know, anybody has a limited amount of political capital to get something done in the first term or whatever? Well, I think the list will be 
be long. I think uh, um, uh, he's going to have to have a running list of things that have happened over the last four years that he wants to undo um, uh, to withdraw many of the executive orders and actions that, that uh, Trump has taken. Um, uh, and, he, and he should move on those very quickly. He uh, will want to move on uh, a COVID plan and, and get that out there and, and in place. He'll, he's going to need to work on economic recovery, um, particularly if by the time he takes office, uh, um, there's been uh, no COVID uh, relief bill that it's still been stuck during the lame duck. Um, uh, the, the country's going to sorely need another major infusion of federal um, resources. Um, and then I think, you know, he should move right to a, an item that uh, has bipartisan support. And I would say that that's infrastructure, um, uh, which also has the benefit of putting federal resources to work in the economy and putting people to work. So um, a COVID bill, um, undoing the Trump EOs and then move right to infrastructure. If you were to call me and ask for my top three, that's what I'd give them. I'm really struck by what's missing from that list because some of the things that are being talked about most on the left, things like climate change, uh, background Healthcare. checks for guns, um, the statehood for D.C., changing the courts, voting rights. Uh, I mean, a lot of those have a lot of, I mean, like background checks is widely popular um, for guns. I mean, but you're, st you're saying what, stay away from those things? I'm not saying stay away, but you, gotta, you can't do everything all at once. Take it in order. Build up your political capital um, and, uh, and put it to work. And uh, and and there'll be time to take up uh, some of those other issues, and I'm and I and I would think that he would would want to take those things up. Yeah, for sure. So here in California, you know, we have uh, Proposition 16 on the ballot, which would undo Proposition 209, because we just like to have alphabet soup in California when it comes to the ballot. Um, this would end um, the ban on affirmative action. Um, and obviously, it would apply to both, you know, any government agency, but universities is where a lot of the conversation has really focused. Can you talk about, you know, as UC president for some time, did you see an effect of that ban um, during, you know, your tenure? Yeah, sure. Um, uh, and, and we saw it immediately after 209 passed, um, where the number of African-American and Latino students as a percentage of the UC student body dropped dramatically. Um, and, and so, uh, uh, and that's a problem. It's a public university. Um, it's uh, paid for by all the taxpayers of California. It, it doesn't need to have a, a direct one-to-one -one correlation with percentage of the population. And it doesn't need to have anything that resembles a quota or anything like that. Uh, but um, it, it, it should be viewed as open to all Californians and equally accessible to all Californians. And I think when 209 passed, we, we kind of lost that. Um, now the university worked very hard um, since 209 passed to uh, uh, try to develop outreach programs to help uh, students get prepared for admission, uh, get students interested in applying. But it's interesting at, at the University of California, there are there's a list of like 14 some odd factors that we consider in evaluating a student for admission. We want to look at the whole student. The only thing we can't consider is their race, ethnicity, or gender, uh, which is you know kind of 
those are kind of important features of a student. So they are, it's an limitation. Yeah, but you, but you could also argue that, you know, economic status is also a pretty good proxy for who needs some help in getting into a school. Uh, sometimes that relates to race. But, you know, there are also wealthy Latino families and black families, and you have working class white families that are really struggling uh, to pay for their kids' college education. So do you really think that adding race and ethnicity as, a, as an option will make that big of a difference? Uh, you know what, Scott? I, I, I think uh, you know. I think it could. You're you're right. Socioeconomic status does act as a rough proxy. Um, uh, and actually, uh, many of our outreach programs uh, were targeted toward uh, students from lower income families, where um, we tended to find more minority students. Why? Because um, they're focused there um, from a population standpoint. Um, but race and ethnicity are not just a matter of socioeconomic status. They're uh, a matter of, of who you are, who, what, your, um, uh, uh, what, what your identity is, uh, what your cultural background is, uh, the historical context in which you were raised. Um, uh, it's, it's, um, it's not an irrelevant feature of a student's um, uh, uh, identity. Yeah. Well, we'll have to see how that goes. I know it's n not been uh, so very well. yeah. yeah, great and pulling. Um, before we let you go, you, as we said, you've worn a lot of hats. You, I think, are back to teaching now. Um, quickly, just tell us what you're teaching and if you plan to stay in California. So I'm a professor at the Goldman School of Public Policy at Berkeley. I'm actually on my sabbatical year this year. I haven't started teaching. <laughs> um, uh, I'm supposed to be, you know, you know, in sabbatical year, I'm supposed to be traveling in Italy or someplace, but um, that's that's not going to happen. So, no, I hope to uh, teach in the field of security and politics, um, two areas in which I have some relevant experience. Interesting. Fabulous. Well, maybe we can uh, audit one of those courses once you get going. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> All right. Former Arizona Governor Janet Napolitano, thank you so much for your time today. Thanks a lot. Thank you. That's going to do it for this edition of Political Breakdown. We are a production of KQED Public Radio. Don't forget you can go to kqed.org slash elections to find our election coverage, including our voter guide, in case you haven't voted yet. Yeah, you better. You got a couple more days, a few more days. Our producer is Guy Marzarati. Our engineer, Katie McMurrin. KQED's team includes Holly Kernan, Ethan Tobin, Lindsay, Vinnie Tong, Erica Aguilar, and Jonathan Blakely. I'm Scott Schaefer. You can follow me on Twitter if you like. I'm at Scott Schaefer. And I'm Marisa Lagos. You can find me on Twitter at MLagos. Thanks for listening, and don't forget to get your ballot in. Hi there. I'm Randad Fatah from ThruLine. If you're listening to this podcast, you know that KQED produces exceptional storytelling that keeps you informed, inspired, and entertained. Their podcasts cover issues from your neighborhood to the entire country and everything in between. Support this work today. You can help us continue to bring quality podcasts to your ears. Just head to donate.kqed.org slash podcast. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcast.